Hey, what's up, La Familia? You crazy football-loving nutters. This is Ray Hudson, and you are luxuriating in listening to the Inter Miami podcast with a stupefyingly magnificent Jay and Alex. Two lads who are as electrifying as a hairdryer thrown into a hot tub. Stay tuned, because you know what it's going to be. It's going to be magisterial with an amplifier. Good everyone. This is Dan Harrington with the Inner Miami Podcast, and I am here with the Pod Squad, bringing you the latest updates from the World Cup. Fellas, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing great. Wonderful. Doing awesome. I love the enthusiasm at nine o'clock on a Friday night. You can tell we are a lively bunch. I am uh, myself currently sitting out in my car because no one in the house wanted to stay quiet, and it is a crisp. 38 degrees. So I am wearing all of last year's Fanatics Inner Miami gear just to stay warm because my dedication is true to the cause. So without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and dive into a quick recap of our uh, some good, uh, some not so good predictions here. <laughs> uh, if you listened to our last episode, you will recall that Brazil was picked by Jay, Callie, and Gary. Argentina was picked by Branton and Johnny. France, no shock here, was picked by our traveler. Uh, Germany was picked by Jim. And I picked Belgium because I was naive. I, uh, I'm not sure. So looking back at these, how, how are we feeling about these picks? Uh, what, what do you guys think? I'm feeling good. I mean, yeah, Brazil, you know, whatever they – they they're already moving forward and and they dropped one today, but you know uh, they're to me they're still the best team. Um, them and I think it's them in Argentina and everyone else after that. So, yeah, I, I think Brazil, I think Brazil got complacent and hopefully they they got that out of their system because they when when they're a hundred percent they are arguably the most fun team to watch. And and let's let's be clear, we haven't seen an Anthony spin yet in the World Cup, which is something that we all are craving. So uh, we definitely need them them up and running. Um, Brad, how you feeling about how you feeling about France coming up, man? I feel pretty good. I think you know we had the best chance out of anybody to go perfect out of the groups with nine points, and we made a conscious decision to start our bench in the final game against Tunisia and kind of handed them the win, even though Antoine Griezmann almost had a tying goal in the last minutes in a bit of a controversial VAR review. But I'm feeling good. I feel like we've been the most complete team in this World Cup so far. And in the knockouts, there's very few that are going to challenge us. And I'll we really have a pretty clear run to at least the semis, in my opinion. I mean, it also helps when you have Killian Mbappe leading the line and the French uh, beauty that is Olivier Giroud as is, uh, as is a pod favorite. He's, uh, what, did he tie the record yet or did he break the record for most goals in French uniform? It's tied right now, it's tied. He, so, yeah, he right. tied. Didier Deschamps wouldn't let him break it in the groups. Ah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know what is what it is. I'm sure he'll get that here soon. Uh, touching base in Argentina. A uh, little touch and go through the uh, group stage. Uh, kind of felt that they were uh, walking in thinking that they might be through before they ever got through. Um, they did end up winning the group uh, with six points, and we'll cover that here soon. But it was uh, a nervy affair, especially in that opening game against Saudi Arabia. Uh, what do we? I mean, I know we said that they should be one and two with Brazil, and then there's everybody else. But 
Are, are we thinking they're going to fall asleep and get caught off guard here opening up, or uh, you think they're going to make it to the final here? I don't know what to make of them. Is You look at that first game against Saudi Arabia, I'm sure it's just a coincidence that Messi became an ambassador for Saudi Arabia tourism just about two months ago in October. I'm sure that's a complete coincidence and has nothing to do with that game. But And I'm ser- I am serious when I say that. I don't think you're throwing games or anything. But I think it probably was. It's probably very easy to take them seriously, especially after they got that first goal to, you know, just kind of relax and, and get complacent. And, you know, I think the, the final result kind of woke them up a little bit. It was a little too late for that game by the time they woke up, but they looked pretty strong after that. I think there was a big difference, honestly, from the first game to the second and third game. Because if you watch the first game when they actually played Saudi Arabia, like every time they got the ball, every single player was looking for where Messi was. Like it was just the Argentina of last World Cup. And then the second and third game, they were actually making runs and actually letting Messi drop behind and actually make plays and pass to the wide players. So you could see like what they should have been doing in the first game, which they didn't do. And it they seem like their normal team after the first one. So I don't necessarily have any issues. I don't think they're going to the finals personally because there's way better teams than Argentina in this competition. But I think they uh, got it figured out. I, I would say for me, the one thing I'm noticing that is not common from Argentina of, of old, especially in our lifetimes, is that their defense is actually playing relatively decently. And I know, oh, yeah, they had that 36-whatever game win streak. Okay, I mean, that's like Floyd Mayweather going down to the local pro-am gym saying, hey, I'm going to fight you, and I'm going to count that towards my win record. But, like, in in the Poland game especially, and, th- and this would hurt for me personally because I have a strong affinity for, for Lewandowski, he was essentially marked out of the game. There, There was no way for him to get loose. There was no way for him to make the runs, to get in on goal. Uh, if they're able to ratchet down and play solid defense like that for the rest of the tournament, it it could be it could be Argentina making making a strong run. But I think they're gonna rely on playing that defense because if the attackers have to come back and play too deep, I think it's gonna throw their whole game off. I mean I don't know what you guys think about that, but yeah. One, one thing I do want to touch on, I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter, where the coach for Saudi Arabia was giving his halftime speech to the Argentina game. And it was pretty crazy to watch because he's French and he's screaming in English. And then he has a translator like screaming after him. That was just kind of crazy. But that was amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was really, really cool. But yeah, I think, yeah, Ar- Argentina rolled in, I think, still asleep. They know we're just going to roll over Saudi Arabia. But, um, one thing that changed from that game kind of going into the second and third game was what I noticed Messi's last touch was in Saudi Arabia is usually in the middle of the field, like in the middle of the pitch, not high enough, not getting an, a, real, a real opportunity to make the play, to, you know, be the playmaker that he is. And that changed in the second and third game. You know, I think we saw, you know, especially towards the end of the, the group stage, how, how Messi especially kind of turned it on. And I think as long as Argentina have that guy on the pitch, I think they're going to be okay. You know, he just—he obviously is just missing a poacher like Gonzalo Higuain up top to, to finish the deal. You know. Yeah, I mean, no matter what your thoughts are on Messi, it is absolutely a joy as as a as a footy fan to hear the place absolutely erupt just in unison, bowing, screaming his name when when he scores the goal. The whole place feels like it's going to lift off and shoot into space. Like, it it, it, it it's cool. It's one of those things that we might not see after he retires because, I mean, let's be honest, Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi are two of the greatest to play the game, no matter how you feel about either one of them. So uh, I would implore any fan that's listening to this to just sit down and appreciate what we've got going on in front of us because this is going to be over well before we know it. Um, but moving on, Jim, there's only so much uh, beating around the bush I can do before you and I have to face the music <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Germany, <laughs> you, you want to touch base on, uh, on your pick. <clears throat> yes. So two reasons why I picked Germany. 
Uh, one is because I actually thought that they would have uh, non-Bayern Munich bias and actually start the players that were playing well going into the World Cup for their nas- for their club teams, which they did not. Um, it always felt like anytime you saw the lineup, it was like, oh, this team plays for Bayern Munich, this team plays for this team, so you have to be in the starting lineup. And as soon as you saw Volker come on the field, you knew that's what they needed every single time. He has, like, I think it's like 10 or 12 goals this season already in 14 games in the Bundesliga. And, like, you don't start this guy up forward. He came in and he scored three goals in two games for you. And you still don't start him in the last game. Like, that makes no sense. It just, like, blew my mind. It just made no sense. You could tell anytime they were trying to move the ball, they were looking for that player up forward. They have good people that can cross the ball into the box. And they just didn't have that guy until they subbed him on in the 70th minute, the 80th minute, to try to get a tie or something. It was just mind-blowing for me. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I was sure after he came on and made an impact that they would make that change. But I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a very strong Bayern Munich bias to the German team. And I can understand why you picked them. I mean, it, it, they're a strong squad. The, the, the names on that roster sheet are, are no – there's no slouches on that roster. I mean, Tomas Mueller, Manuel Neuer – uh, even uh, uh, Musiala, I think I said his name wrong, but I mean, he he came on strong. He played really well. Uh, Mario Goza, I was kind of scratching my head at the selection, but I mean, he's still a quality player. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can see. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't go your way. It went a little bit better for you than it did for me with the Belgian Waffles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, Let's talk about the fact that they came in and uh, barely barely got past Canada. Uh, and then the Morocco game, uh, that's when I knew they were pretty much done. There, there was going to be no fight left in that team. Um, the, the, the unity from what is being leaked onto the internet is pretty much done and dusted with the quote-unquote golden generation of Belgian football. You got players not talking to each other, uh, attacking players calling out defenders for being too slow, defenders calling out attackers for not being able to effectively get the ball up the field. Everybody jumping on the back of Thibaut Courtois, who, mind you, he's still one of the best in the world at goalkeeper. And uh, you can only do so much in net, but it's it's, it's kind of – sad because like I said there was that golden generation where Belgium kind of just blew up and came onto the map and you had a feeling that the likes of uh, you know De Bruyne and company were going to be able to do big things and I honestly thought with all my heart that they were going to put something together one last run uh, but in the discord we were talking about it and, and some I forget who said it but Eden Hazard you know the engine that was up top, he has fallen off so quickly in the last four years. It, it, it's shocking. And without without him being able to produce for them, it really showed that they uh, didn't have the complete pieces to make that run. So uh, is what it is for the Belgians, right? Well, I think a big kind of warning sign with the Belgians was after their first game, you had Kevin De Bruyne come out and – I forgot exactly what the question was. And it was, I think it was along the lines of, oh, do you think you can win this World Cup? And his response was, no, we're too old. And kind of the second that that came out, the writing was on the wall of, oh, this Belgian team is done. And they'll be lucky if they make it out of the groups. And sure enough, they didn't out of a group that, Pretty much everybody expected them to at least make it out of. For yeah, sure. And, well, I was going to say, that's what has been leaked. Is That's why they're fighting. Uh, Alder Weidel and Vertonghen are, are coming out. Like I said, the attackers are being too slow and everybody's too slow. And they, they're, they're too old. There's not a lot of injection of youth. Uh, it'll be interesting. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the future. It does look like Louis Van Hall is not backing away from a rumor that he might take the Belgian job after the World Cup. I just saw that come across in Bleacher Report. So uh, it could be interesting to see what happens there. But, um, hey, so let's move on to the group of adults. We will start in order. So, Cali, you want to cover uh, Group A? How'd that finish out? Um, I finished on about, I think, how everyone kind of expected it to. Netherlands and Senegal, I think everyone can kind of agree, were always the ones that were going to move out. Um, Netherlands a little bit anemic with their scoring. Um, but we, we did kind of see... Uh, Kind of, I, I don't know if I can even call him a, a breakout player, but we saw um, we saw Grapko really like kind of uh, come out and, and kind of, you know, take charge there in that group. And, uh, you know, the, the Netherlands kind of being playing like real Dutch football, like, you know, defense, you know, defensive stronghold type of thing. Uh, Senegal definitely missed. Uh, they definitely miss Sadio, but um, still enough playmakers to kind of get the job done. You know, Koulibaly having a great tournament to start off. Um, I think the surprise was Ecuador, uh, kind of how hot they came out and and how much they competed and um, beat the crap out of Qatar to start everything off. Drew against the uh, against the Dutch. Um, you know, uh, Qatar was exactly kind of what we all thought. They were just bad. Um, just, you know, three and out very quickly, didn't win, not moving on, third country, third host country in history to do so. So, yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of that group, it's it's what we expected. Um, you know, now the, the Netherlands have to, have to play us, and that's going to be interesting, but I'm sure we'll jump into that a little later. Um, I still think both teams, both the Netherlands and Senegal have, have something in the tank to kind of make a, I don't think either one of them are winning it, but I think they can, they can spoil someone's run here now in the, the next couple of weeks. Well, I do want to touch base on, because we like to keep ourselves, you know, accountable here at the inner Miami podcast. I'm fairly confident at least six out of the eight of us said that Ecuador wasn't going to score a goal in the world cup. Correct. If not more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> They came out strong, man. I mean, now we should have known, shame on us, that Qatar was going to be uh, not the defensive bastion or the stalwart. Uh, but, hey, you know, good on them. Uh, hint to the Ecuadorian uh, football, uh, you know, whatever yep. you want to call yourself there. Campana could have helped you out. Just throwing yeah. that out there. We, yeah, but like but Valencia was one of the most one of the most impressive players I think in in the group stages um, for uh, for uh, Ecuador. Um, you know, four goal. Uh, what do you what do you have? Uh, uh, three goals, couple assists. You know, I mean, he he was he was really lights out. But they were missing that other. It felt like that other goal scorer, another guy that can that can kind of help the load and. Yeah, yeah. If they had Kumbapi, I think it might have been a different story. You know, they maybe they they close out that game against the Netherlands, and and that group looks a little different now. But yeah, we I don't I think all there was several of us, myself included, said that they didn't think Ecuador was going to score a goal. But lo and behold, Qatar was much worse than than I thought they were going to be. Very much so. Uh, but in uh, in interest of keeping this train moving, we will go on to Group B. I can keep it plain and simple. We are who we thought we were. England, taking the top of the group. Uh, U.S. men's national team, ready last day against Iran. We'll get into the men here uh, towards the end of the podcast here. I want to get your guys' thoughts on the team as a whole. Uh, Iran, okay. They, they came out. They showed some fight. Uh, I, they did a little bit more than I thought they would. Um, they, they definitely have some decent players. Not great. Not like top-level players, but they have some good enough players to force some uh, some issues for uh, the U.S. men's national team in Wales. And uh, the Welsh, yeah, they, uh, they waited all that time to not win a game, to get a really shitty draw against the U.S., and to lose, too, with a negative five goal differential. Uh, 
Yeah. I think Bale, I think Bale saw the saw some of the golf courses around and decided it was it was done. It was done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, at least he raised the trophy this year with LAFC. I mean, personally, I thought Wales would do more. I'm a little disappointed in their showing. Uh, but hey, it is what it is. That group was never going to be easy for them with England and the U.S. having such high expectations. So, uh, moving on, Group C. Trav, you got Group C? I do. And Group C kind of went exactly as I predicted, uh, with a few extra bumps along the way. Uh, Argentina on top of the group with six points. Poland in second with four points. Mexico out in the groups for the first time, and I believe... It was like 16 years uh, by goal differential to Poland. And then Saudi Arabia, bottom of the group, with about three points, but arguably one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history by upsetting Argentina in their first group stage game. So pretty bog standard in what we expected, but... uh, Argentina gave a couple of worries, but really showed who they are against Poland and Mexico. And Poland, shaky along the way, but got it done. Robert Lewandowski's into the knockout rounds where uh, comes up against my France, and I think he's going home, but I still think that Poland can call this a success. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, Poland, it was nervy. (laughs) We were talking about Goal differential and yellow card, fair play, red card, whatever they call it, points, accrual, the whole nine yards. So, uh, you know, they made it. Uh, definitely thought Mexico might push through, but, you know, good on Poland. Mexico will definitely rebound here. Uh, we'll, we'll see them again. We will not see Memo Ochoa back in goal. Arguably one of the best goalkeepers to show up every four years in the past 12 years. Uh, it will be a shame not to see him out there, but, you know, good on him. I think he won man of the match his last uh, game in the World Cup, I do believe. Um, but, yeah, hey, Argentina, Poland move on. It will be good to see both of them in the next rounds. Uh, Group D, keep it sweet for you guys. France, they were in control. Trav already touched on it. They started the subs against Tunisia. They were pretty much already through. They didn't need anything else. Uh, Australia, again, the Socceroos looked pretty strong. I was, I'll admit, I was a little disappointed in the Denmark performance. I thought they might be able to pull it out and, and maybe challenge for that second spot instead of Australia going through. But it felt like there was just a, a fractured lack of cohesion uh, amongst that team where they just couldn't get it going. What do you, what do you guys think about the Denmark performance? Just felt like a lack of urgency. Like anytime you saw them play, it just felt like they were just trying to play possession and never really tried to do anything. It never felt like whenever they had the ball, it was like, oh, here here comes the the pass down the wing. Here comes it to the striker. There's just like no movement, it felt like. And you have some amazing passers in the midfield on that team. And it just no one felt like they showed up the entire World Cup, like everybody was super poor. It was crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. With, I don't with, with was... Denmark. It was, uh, it, it was. It was. Sorry, Gary. Uh, no. Go um, ahead. It was. Uh, it was upsetting, and I think I think Jim nailed it. Um, like it felt like they're just like methodically trying to play the ball out of the back and and kind of methodically move it upfield, and it just. Uh, yeah, they, it, it felt like they were kind of missing that guy. Um, you know, a guy that can just take charge and, and uh, you know, try and put the ball in the net, shoot a goal and stuff like that. And, and they just, you know, yeah, they, they, there was no urgency. There was no, you know, there was no pressing. It was just, yeah, let's try and hold it. We'll try and out possession everyone to death. And I guess they're trying to wait for a counter or something like that. And it just never came. And, you know, it was sad to see because, you you know, especially with after everything Erickson's been through, you wanted to, you know, maybe see them move through, but is what it is. Yeah, I felt like in their run in the Euros, and maybe that's kind of what led to their expectations a little bit here, but after Erickson went down with the the heart issue and 
essentially died for a minute or two on the field. They were were just going on so much emotion, the rest of the team, and kind of, I think, doing it for him in the Euros, that that probably, maybe they looked better in the Euros than they really were. Maybe that kind of led to the higher expectations that they had going into this. Um, but, yeah, they, they didn't seem like... They almost looked like more like what you would really expect of of Denmark just when you think of them like historically. I mean, they're like sometimes they'll be kind of good, but they're usually not like, a, you know, one of the big boys or anything like that. They looked like a team that, you know, is going to kind of struggle to get out of the group. They looked just kind of like what they ended up being. Yeah, I would, again, I would like to have seen more for Ericsson. Um but you guys all hit the nail on the head. There was, there was there was no urgency. They didn't have an attacker. There's only so much they can do with what they had. And, uh, you know, Gary, very good point. They were playing on an emotional high through the Euros. They they were playing for a cause greater than themselves. And uh, maybe, maybe they did look better than what they are, actually are. Uh, but, hey, they'll have time to rebound. They will have time to get ready for the next World Cup. Moving on. The best group finish of the tournament. If you somehow missed it, for a 30-second window, this group had Japan and Costa Rica going through, with Germany and Spain being knocked out. I don't know what you guys thought. I know I was watching both games, like all the games going on, and I was losing my mind. Because the thought of Japan and Costa Rica leaving that group was mind-numbing for me. It was insane. Just insane it's, to even like think about. I think out of all the groups to bust a bracket, this was the group. I don't think there was anybody outside of maybe some hopeful Japanese in Japan that could have seen Japan out of all teams in this group topping the group. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that goal, that, that, <laughs> that bar call that uh, I thought it was good. And I'm going to tell you why this to me is longstanding retribution for that goal against, uh, or the, uh, England call where we didn't get the goal that we should have got. So I'm all good with it. it the Japan goal for me is probably the best thing I've seen in a while. What are your guys' thoughts? Trav, I know you probably want to go to deep dive referee version of what you saw and what is good and what isn't. So give us, give us your thoughts on that. Uh, basically, the general population is dumb and forgets that uh, a soccer ball is a sphere. So while from underneath and from the side angle, it looks like it was out and there was plenty of green. We have to remember that a ball's a sphere and covers area above there. And I thought even in live time that it was in. Uh, and since then, FIFA has released a photo backing up their call that the ball was indeed still in. So I thought it was a good call. I thought it was... A fantastic use of VAR. Uh, it's not something we've really seen VAR used for before, but I thought it was an absolutely fantastic call, especially when the assistant on the field put his flag up for the ball being out. So, fantastic call. Uh, the general population's stupid, and <laughs> I'm really happy to see the Japanese move on with that goal. Yeah, and not only I, is the ball a sphere... But we got to. Rem- everybody has to remember the the lines extend up, if infinitely, essentially, right? So I mean, it's not that the bottom of the ball was was over the chalk mark on the line. It's that if you extend the line all the way up, it would have hit the edge of the ball, sphere or not. So I mean, like you said, the people are kind of stupid. I see. I'm amazed how many people would would show. I'm seeing on Twitter people are showing. Uh, shots and and screenshots from like angles like do not understand the concept of viewing angles and perspective and things like that so it was kind of surprising just how much outrage and how much people are trying to 
talk in, you know, talk themselves into that goal somehow not being valid. Yeah, and you yeah. kind of hit it right on, you know, the nose with uh, the lines on the field are a plane that extend essentially infinitely upwards, and the ball is not out until the entirety of the ball crosses that plane. And truly, I think, you know, this was an unprecedented use of VAR. And they absolutely hit it on the head. I thought it was a fantastic use and a fantastic call. Yeah, I don't think it was that controversial. Like, um, I mean, clearly, if you if you look at that angle from up top, like the ball never crossed the plane. I understand it's a big moment, and people like you know want to sensationalize things because of the gravity of the moment. But it didn't cross, so. I don't, I don't, I don't see what the outrage is, you know, and it doesn't matter that it didn't cross by an inch and a half or, or whatever it was like, it didn't cross, you know, it's like, well, it, it's the same thing. If it, if it would have been like a shot on goal, it would have been the same. It would have been the same, the same thing. You know, it, it's not a, I don't, I don't, you know, I get it's, it's, you know, talked about because it was, it was such a small amount, but the rule is the rule. And if we're abiding by the rules and it's, it's the right call and it was a goal. So the one thing I tried to equivocate it for a lot of the fans that don't watch the game outside once every four years is it the same rule applies if you're kicking a field goal. The, the space above the crossbars goes up infinitely. The ball can partially cross over the top of that goalpost. And it'll still count as a field goal. It's still in the field of play there. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you guys. I didn't see the outrage. Again, I was tickled to death because I felt like I finally got to witness the payback for that no call on the goal for England years ago. Um, but you know what? We can move on. Uh, I did want to touch on one quick thing. Uh, Spain. That midfield, once it gets some seasoning to it, once it gets some age and some maturity and some more playing time, that's going to be a fun midfield to watch. I know people are going crazy and saying it's the next Xavi and Yesta pairing. I don't think it's that good, but it, it's going to be fun if they can uh, progress and grow into the the big boots that have been left behind them. I don't know what, what do you what do you guys think about that? I don't think it's Xavi and Yesta worthy. Oh, at least not yet. You know, they're nineteen twenty. I think they may have that potential in their prime. My bigger worry with that midfield would be, who does Spain have to step in for Busquets? Uh, oh, this is his last World Cup. He's likely at entering the last few years of his career. Who's going to be that single pivot number six behind Pedri and Gavi? Oh, they are true box to box number eights, and. Spain doesn't really have a young oh, Sergio Busquets in the in the making behind him. So it'll be interesting to see who fits that slot. And if they can find another Pedri or Gavi to slot in there, that is a midfield that in four years in 2026, we could be talking about one of the best midfields in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Honestly, they got a little exposed a little bit in some of the games. I think the the Spain midfield creatively is very good. However, outside of being creative and possessing the ball, I don't think they'll ever be like a a Xavi-Iniesta pairing. Um, When you watch them, especially against uh, the high press that teams are putting against Spain, Um, I think they got humbled pretty easily because they didn't know how to deal with it. And I think that's always going to be the case when you have two super creative midfielders and then you have this guy's kind of like what was just talked about. He's just past his prime and he just can't handle the pressure of being that person that prevents the back line from being attacked. And you could just tell anytime it was coming through the midfield, that was a huge issue for Spain. And to be honest with you, if they play against some of these other teams that are way more potent on attacking and their midfielders can break the back line, I don't think Spain has a chance. Yeah, I think there's two important things to remember to, to kind of point out right now. One, 
Gavi and, and Pelé are their children. They're, they're, they're infants in the, in the world of soccer right now. And two, the Xavi and Iniesta pairing was one of the best ever. Um, so to, I think to make those comparisons a little extreme right now, um, I think they'll be good. I think they'll be a, a very good pairing probably for the next you know 10 years or so. Um, we'll get to see him a couple more times in the World Cup. Um, but Trav's right. Like, as far as having, like, that single pivot kind of, like, defensive holding midfielder, there's really none um, throughout the, the youth Spanish ranks. Um, but uh, Spain is kind of in a position right now where they're still holding on to some of the older guys, and they kind of need to start freshening up the squad a bit and, and giving some of these younger guys more minutes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they play it now moving forward. Um, and, and yeah, I think, but yeah, uh, I think Gavi and, and Pedri, they're, they're going to be okay. As long as, as, you know, Bika stays away from Gavi and his family, he'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. That was good. I like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, we might be getting to see a little bit more of Busquets here in the future, which we will touch on here towards the end of the episode. Um, hopefully not. I don't want to see him. Um, but I would also agree that they do need to start freshening up their roster or they will be in the same position that Belgium was this year, where they are admitting that they're too old. They can't handle what is required of them. And uh, it'd be sad to see a team like Spain who has all that talent be pushed by the wayside because they don't have the complete roster to compete with some of the quicker, younger teams out there. So, um, but yeah, moving on, Jim, what do you got for group F? I know you're uh, excited to talk about this one. Yeah, it was definitely super surprising for me. Um, Morocco coming out on top with seven points. I don't think anybody saw that when this group was put together. I'm pretty sure everybody had Belgium and Croatia coming out of the group for sure. Uh, so that was crazy surprising. Um, talking about some of the players that were on Morocco that really made it count, like some of their defenders were just super impressive. Um, they have this fullback, which I'm not even going to try to butcher when I pronounce it, but he was just lighting it up. And he's just only like in his uh, early 20s and he's playing in the Champions League right now for Bayern Munich. So it's just like when you see this young Morocco team really putting things together, it just it was super impressive. Um, Croatia came out second with five points. I think most people had Croatia probably coming out second or potentially first if they had Belgium second. It, it was the same, I think, same situation for Croatia as we've seen uh, many times and even last um last World Cup, I think the same players performed. <laughs> in all honesty, their, their midfield is always really solid. I think uh, Perisic, honestly, was probably the best on their team. Um, this World Cup, he just felt like his old self again. I feel like when he was playing on his club team, he had a lot of issues with consistency and injuries, but he just really turned it on this World Cup with two assists. And he was always a danger with crosses getting that ball into uh, Karamic, who had two goals for them, too. So they were just looking really good. Um, then you had, the, I think, one of the surprises of all the groups, Belgium in third place, getting knocked out. Um, we kind of covered that before, and I think the summary is the golden generation's over. Maybe we can kind of just leave it at that. Um, and then we had Canada, <laughs> zero points. Honestly, I did not see Canada – with zero points when this group was picked. Uh, their team's super young. I think they have chemistry that they can build on going into other tournaments to potentially bring a lot of their players up the ranks. But I just felt like it was the Alonzo Davies show. <laughs> uh, a lot of people were just looking to him uh, too much. Uh, felt very similar to like Argentina's and Messi type situation sometimes. Um, and he just can't do everything for that team. Uh, even though Jonathan Davis relatively good on the attack as well, it just felt like they just never 
to consistently put attacks together. And, um, you know, when you have Lonzo Davies flying forward, he is really good at defending as well, and they just didn't have him because he was playing so much attack. So I think that really done them in, uh, in the long run. Yeah, I would agree with you on the Canadian team there. There was a lot of times I was watching him, and it was Alfonso Davies taking on 10 men at once. And nobody else was making runs, or he didn't have the space. Um, yeah, shocking. The Canada didn't at least get one point. Um, and, you know, I do owe you, Jim, your public apology. I do. <laughs> when you originally gave me your notes for the first episode, I will vouch for you that you had Morocco down as as possibly coming out of this group, and I laughed at you and told you you needed to change it. So, <laughs> this is my public apology to you. I, I apologize. You were right. I was wrong. You are a, uh, a brilliant football mind, and you are a genius, sir. So, that's... Thank uh, you, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, guys, does anybody else want to touch on Group F, or do we want to move forward to Group G? Let's get, let's keep it rolling, baby. All right, Group G. This will be quick, done, dusted. Brazil, we knew. That was a foregone conclusion. They topped the group with six. Switzerland, uh, they also had six. Uh, they were in second due to goal differential. Uh, Cameroon was third with four points. And the team that I was high on and I am thoroughly disappointed by was the, uh, the Serbians. They... Uh, they have the tools. I don't think they have the coach. I, I, I they're, they're attacking midfielders and defenders. They're not world beaters, but they're not bad. And I just felt like the tactics were never there for them to really go through and make a meaningful impact on this World Cup. Uh, what, what do you guys think about Group G? I think as much as I dislike Fox's coverage of this World Cup, they hit it pretty well today in their coverage of the Serbia match, which is they never seemed fully fit. They never seemed to give 100% or that they could give 100%. And they also let their emotions show. Oh, They were very lucky to not see at least one red card today in their match against uh, Switzerland. And they to me, in all of their matches I watched so far, they never looked fully fit and they looked emotional in a bad way. And to me, that doomed them in. But I can't say I'm sad to see them go. I'm happy to see Alexi Lalas uh, bracket absolutely destroyed by them not even making it out of the group. So oh, that's my thoughts on Serbia. Yeah, I... I... Pretty much agree with almost everything you said. Um, and I think the biggest things for me was how many yellow cards this team got in <laughs> three games. Twelve. Holy. Like that just epitomizes like n- not being able to keep your cool when you play the game. Like some of the yellow cards that they were getting, it was just why. It just didn't even need to happen. And I felt like even though their attackers were good, like Mitrovic played relatively well. And I think, you know, Savic, everybody kind of knows, played really good in the midfield. Um, it just never felt like they were going to win games outside of potentially this last one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, done and dusted for them. Uh, they, they proved me wrong. And, uh, yeah, shame on me. I thought they'd have the tools. I thought maybe being at the World Cup with the roster they had would mean something to them. Um yeah. yeah, what is what it is. Uh, Gary, last but certainly not least, uh, you get to cover Group H featuring one infamous Diego Alonso. Yes, and his World Cup is done and his time with Uruguay is done now already too. So we had Portugal winning the group and South Korea coming in third. I certainly didn't really predict that too much. I didn't give a lot of time in my preview to South Korea. Um, I, they were pretty much sun and, you know, that was about it as far as going into it. But 
Son isn't even the one that carried them to this that much. I mean, he played fine, but they were getting it from elsewhere. I think the bottom line with South Korea is they just worked their socks off and they just had that work rate and that motor. Um, you know, we've seen that from them for years. You know, the United fans remember Ji Sung Park, who was nicknamed Three Lung Park because he just like could just run and run and run. And that kind of seemed to be the MO with them. And they outworked other teams and it got them there. Meanwhile, you have Uruguay. One of my concerns going in was the age of like Cavani and Suarez and Suarez only playing in the, in the uh, Uruguayan league the last few months. And he looked a little, he looked a little pudgy out there. He's getting older. He wasn't doing much. Nunez. I mean, I'm not going to, bag on him because he's a Liverpool player or anything like that. He's gotten better goal scoring with Liverpool a little bit, but he has so much more around him at Liverpool than he did when you've got an aging Suarez and you've got an aging uh, Cavani. Um, I think the biggest disappointment with Uruguay, I expected their their midfield, Valverde and guys like that to to carry them a lot more, and they didn't. So, meanwhile, you've got Portugal that... I thought might have some issues just internally there, but they did seem to keep it together pretty well. Ronaldo didn't do much. He was terrible in the game today in their last group game. I saw a thing where he had like the fifth worst rating from who scored.com of any players in the, in the group stages so far, any outfield players. Um, so he's, he's been poor. He got a penalty kick and that was, it I, he might have an assist in there. I forget. I mean, but Bruno's been more of the star for Portugal, and he really helped them get through. So where they go from here, um, you know, I think they've got some a shot. I'm still a little bit worried if they if they rely too much on Ronaldo and try to like run the offense through him. That's where they get in trouble. If Bruno and Bernardo Silva and João Felix, if they can, you know, let them be them and be their creative selves i think that they can you know at least go a little bit further so we'll see from there ghana was kind of who i expected they're a young team they would have great moments followed by like bad moments and that's what happens i think they're the youngest team in the tournament so you can it's not real surprising that they're very up and down i thought they might have a little bit more and might have a better chance of making it to the uh to the knockout stage than South Korea did, but, um, you know, they've got some young talent. I think they might be a team to watch four years from now. Yeah. I mean, Bruno's Bruno's showing his stuff. Uh, you, you guys, you guys know oh, I have an affinity for Bruno. He, uh, he, he's showing what made United attracted to buy him again. And I know the joke is that he's always scoring penalties and this, that, the other thing. And yeah, he had that one really out, like outside the box looper that Ronaldo tried to claim. Um, but I mean, he, he's been the engine in, in the midfield. He's calling out the players when he needs to. He's getting some absolute beautiful balls in to, uh, to some outrageous positions. Um, if they can keep him moving and keep him. I don't want to say motivated, but that's the word I'm going to use anyways in the midfield to keep creating for the players up top. Uh, it could be uh, could be an interesting run for Portugal. Um, yeah, I mean, I will say in terms of Ghana, they had to have, have my favorite fans of the entire tournament. The, the <laughs> South African fan bases are unrivaled when it comes to their creativity and uh, – I would I would say too their passion at the World Cup is always on display. I would I don't want to speak for everybody, but personally, one of my favorite World Cups in recent memory is the South Africa World Cup. Absolutely phenomenal environments every time that the South African teams or the African teams were out there. So, um, yeah, awesome on it. Anybody else want to speak to the group? Um, it just it, it kind of uh, you know obviously you know the David Alonso effect in Uruguay, um, you know, very clear why or Miami moved on from him. He's a bum. Um, <laughs> no, but Gary was right that with, with that, with that midfield, it, you know, I expected them to be a lot better. Um, you know, Nunez is a, is a, is a beautiful ball of chaos that hadn't, 
you know, no one around him because Suarez was a ghost and Cavani's 100 years old. So Uruguay was surprising, but I think now that they, they're bringing in Bielsa, I think that's actually going to be great for, for Darwin, and we'll see where, where that leads. Yeah, I will say just one last thing touching on uh, Uruguay. I uh, was happy to see the progression of Facundo Pelistri. Uh, yeah. He's he's going to be a good talent, and you know, not just saying that as a United fan, but as a as a football fan, he's he is a very raw talent, and he's starting to come into his own. He could be a staple in the uh, Uruguay roster for some time. So um, it was good to see him. Uh, probably the only one I was really rooting for, maybe outside of. Uh, Cavani on that squad, and yes, Diego Alonso is a bum. If you think he'd be better back on our squad, you got your head in the sand, and you might be a little bit crazy. Going to leave it at that. And so. I have to love, and I love seeing the Suarez tears. It's, <laughs> it, it's both ugly and beautiful at the same time. Yes, I was on a lunch date with Lucy. I was on a lunch date with Lucy, and I saw him crying on TV, and I just started busting her gut laughing because it's just so <laughs> ugly. It, the, the, the ugly crocodile tears, it was terrible. You guys, you, uh, you guys I mean, <sighs> I get it, guys. But Suarez gave me some of the happiest football memories of my life as a Liverpool fan. So just just be nice. That's it. Just, he also gave us some of our favorite memories as United fans whenever I was dancing in front of him. So <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah, moving on real quick. Um, I know we're running long on time here, fellas. Let's just touch base real quick. What went right and what went wrong for the U.S. men's national team? Um, clearly, they're wrong. Walker Zimmerman pulled a Walker Zimmerman on bail. I mean, it, was, it wasn't great. Let's, let's put it that way. And I think Berhalter realized that Zimmerman's got something off, especially with the uh, – was it the last two games or just the last game where he did not start? Um, I don't know. What, what, is your, what is your guys concerned with Zimmerman or the defense, or uh, are you not concerned? Well, with, with the pen against, with the pen against Wales, like it's that's such like like ten you like that was like a like a ten like a ten and under mistake that he made. Like like why are you slide tackling someone from behind in the box? Like on what planet do you think that's the right thing to do? You know, um, but, you know, we always knew the back line was going to be a problem. Um, any national, any variation of a national team back line that has Walker Zimmerman starting in it is is, is an issue. Um, you know, I, I think he's great for the MLS, and I think he's an awesome dude, like, character-wise, one of the best. But, man, like, it's it, – it, he, he, has, he has not been good. You know, luckily – guys around him have been able to bail him out. Jedi has played really well. Our midfield has played really well. You know, they've kind of been able to, to bail him out of it. And our wingers have been, have been very good too. So, but yeah, I don't think we're, we're going to see him starting against, I don't, I don't think we're we'll seeing him starting tomorrow. I yeah. think Zimmerman is kind of the, as far as asking what's good and what's bad for the, or what went right and what went wrong for the U S team. It's Zimmerman answer to both of those because there is that penalty. But when he came on against Iran, sorry, Iran, so I don't offend the Iranian press out there. Um, he, he was okay. He had the great clearance and, you know, off the line as it squirted behind Turner in like what the 98th minute or something like that. Uh, but he was pretty immense with as they're lobbing balls in there. He was getting up and he was heading, heading them. Um, so I mean, that kind of twenty minutes or so that he was on, uh, that I think he was very strong in there and I was very happy to have him. So he's kind of in the defense overall. I don't look at it as great talent there from the center backs, but I think as a whole team defense, they're pretty incredible. One goal conceded in the three games. Nobody else conceded that few. Even England conceded a couple to Iran, even though they were, you know, blowing them out by that point. But the only goal conceded was that cheap penalty giveaway, which was a very unnecessary penalty. So overall, I mean, I like the defense, kind of the team defense that's being played. They're working hard. They're working for each other. And it's kind of helping the whole team defense. Obviously, the scoring 
uh, is a problem. And I think we all kind of knew that, you know, that would be the problem coming into the World Cup. Well, yeah. talking about problems. Sorry, Jim, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, okay. Before I get into my rant, go ahead. Oh, I was I was just going to say, honestly, I think um, most of the defense actually played relatively well. Like, I was – I think I was most surprised, honestly, by, by Destin's performance defensively. I thought he played really yeah. good defensively, and I know um, seeing him play going forward, he's very talented and very skillful, but I never thought he was a super uh, prevalent defender anytime I've ever seen him, but – I think in the three games, you saw him put on some amazing defensive performances. And I think that needs to happen, especially against Netherlands coming forward. Um, I truly believe our biggest problem is obviously finding a reliable goal scorer. I mean, two goals in the group stage and, you know, having to rely on Pulisic to really pull us to win that one game, it just... I'm concerned, especially knowing how good the Netherlands defense is, um, that we're really going to need to put a lot of people forward to get a goal. Um, I think that's the thing I'm most concerned about, to be honest. Well, I will say that we do have 99 problems on defense. But Christian Pulisic ate one, and I know Callie has been (laughs) waiting for this moment. He has been waiting to talk about this. The pride of Hershey, Pennsylvania coming through. The pelvis of America putting us through. It was a thing of glory. I know that I pulled Riley out of school to make sure he got to witness history, and he did. It was amazing. Uh, You know, jokes aside, I just had to get that out there. He was the only one. Yeah, Tim White had that beautiful goal. There's that, okay? Christian looked like he was the only one that was actually going to find the back of the net after Way had put that one in in the first game. He had the, he hit off the crossbar against England. Um, you know, call it lucky, call it right place, right time, call it whatever in the Iranian game. Um, you got to at least respect the fact that he was where he needed to be because no one else was making those runs. And he sacrificed his body to the ultimate cause of pushing the U.S. women's national team over the top and making it to the uh, to the knockout rounds. I mean, it's, it's a good time to be a U.S. men's national team fan. You know, it's good, good vibes. Um, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I mean, are, are you concerned against another ones? I mean, it sounds like Christian's going to be back. Um, what, what are your thoughts if he doesn't play? What, what do you guys think? All right. So let me, let me, let me tee this off. All right. You can't <laughs> um, say anything negative about our hero. <laughs> I was going to say that I think we all need to truly honor Captain America, which is Tyler Adams, who's been far and away the best player on the team <laughs> this tournament. Um, Pulisic has been just, just fine. Like, just fine. Uh, like, I'm not even saying this because, I mean, everyone knows how I feel about Christian Pulisic. Um, he was, he's he been absolutely terrible in corners. Um, not not just him either, just, like, as, as, as a group, as a unit, we've been absolutely terrible in corners. I don't know what is happening. Um, it is just bad. Um, yeah, Pulisic was in, in the right place, right time. Fantastic. Um, the only thing I'll give him is, is he, he's got the motor. He likes to run. All that stuff, even though you know, he whines and bitches, and he, he can't get off off the floor, and he's like the third or fourth or fifth best player on the team, whatever. Um, but you know, yeah, he he got it in. Um, I think the biggest concern, though, uh, regardless if if he plays uh, tomorrow or not, it's that I don't know who's scoring goals for this team. Um, there, we what we're really lacking is that guy who can just say, hey. You know, give me the ball in the gu- in the box. I'm I'm just gonna shoot a goal. Like we don't have a guy that can just bury shots. Um, uh, the fact that our that our options up top seem to be Josh Sargent or or Haji right or is horrifying. Um, you know, it, it's uh like luckily we have we have guys like you know Pulisic and and, and Way on the wings that can kind of help supplement that a little bit. But man, we like I'm I'm really worried, especially against a team like the Netherlands, that they they don't have like 
they're not world beaters by any stretch, but their back line is very good. Their mid- midfield is very good. You know, I don't know who's scoring for us right now, and I don't know who's going to score for us tomorrow. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest concern. I mean, yeah, we conceded one goal in three games, but we also only scored two, and one of them was, and we we were only able to get in one against a, a, a club like Iran. Like, I'm worried about that. I agree with that, especially with the news that Josh uh, Josh Sargent still isn't 100 percent ahead of tomorrow's clash. So, uh, who's going to score for? The U.S., you know, Christian Pulisic has been cleared to play, but I can't imagine, and uh, all five of us in here are men. After an injury like that, he may be cleared to play, but he's going to be feeling that. Uh, So where are the goals going to come from? And better yet, against the Netherlands side with so much class, you know, Cody Gakko up front, who is the next $100 million player. How are we going to hold up defensively against somebody like that who's speedy, can shoot, can make the runs, can kind of do everything? You know, we haven't really played somebody like that yet in this World Cup, and oh, I feel like... Reem and Walker Zimmerman as a center back duo is just too slow to beat somebody as technical and pacey as a Cody Gakpo is. Yeah, I mean, time will tell at this point. Uh, We don't have long to wait. Uh, We are going to be watching them play tomorrow against the Dutch, uh, as well as uh, Argentina plays Australia tomorrow. Uh, on Sunday, we were looking at France versus Poland and England versus Senegal. Monday, Japan versus Croatia, Brazil versus South Korea, and Tuesday, December 6th, Morocco versus Spain, Portugal versus Switzerland. Uh, real quick, fellas, before we go, do we want to update our predictions? Are you guys comfortable sticking with what you originally predicted? Uh, let's start from the uh, top and work our way down. Callie, you sticking with Brazil? Yeah, yeah. I have no reason to think they won't win. I, I still think they're they're the best team by a pretty comfortable stretch right now. All right. Hey, I admire you sticking with what you uh, originally said. Obviously, I need to make a change. And I'm going to go with my gut this time because, you know, I tried to be nice. I tried to go outside my lane, and it got my hand slapped, and it blew up in my face. I'm taking England. We're going, baby. It's coming home. Uh, We're going to see it come home. We're most likely going to be crying once again, but, hey, it is what it is. Trav, I think I know your answer. What what are you doing here? Well, I look forward to being the reason you cry, Than. France is going all the way. We're repeating. We're knocking out England on the way there. Uh, just like we helped the U.S. do back in uh, the good old uh, revolution. So it's France. I'm sticking to my guts. Uh, I wish I could meet you. guys you. are going to surrender. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they see Marcus Rashford with a hat trick. They're going to throw up the white flag and be like, nah, we're done. <laughs> we're done here. All right, uh, Jim, what do you got, man? Uh, you're the one of the other ones that needs to make a change here. What, who are you picking? Oh, boy. It's so hard. It's so easy to... <laughs> uh, I do think they're going to beat Spain in the first game, but I'm not picking them to win the, the tournament. I think I just have to probably go with Brazil. Um, I think overall, after watching a lot of the games, it just felt like they were probably the most complete team, front to back. Um, so I, I probably just have to go with Brazil there. All right, and uh, Gary, you're the last one. You uh, sticking with Brazil? You're going to make a change? What are you thinking, my man? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Brazil. Um, I don't put a lot of stake in their loss to Cameroon today, kind of like France's third game. They they pretty much had it wrapped up. I mean, it would have taken not only a loss for them, but Switzerland to win by something like three or four goals or whatever to to kind of not for Brazil not to win the group. So they're pretty comfortable. They rested a lot of people. I think Brazil still probably has the best chance to win, so I'm still going with them. My, My quote, go ahead, go ahead. Brazil is 
Do you have any fears of the fact that they can't score in the first half? No, because it seems like once they once they score, like it's just like a, a you know a barrage of scoring after that. Um, and I also think that they know how good they are, um, and they're not afraid to shoot at goals. You know, eventually those those you know those shots are going to just start hitting the net. And I think we'll we'll see more scoring as the tournament goes on from them. Well, I will tell you one thing we need to see. We need to see that Anthony spin. I hope they get up in a game and he just sits there in the midfield and spins and spins and spins. Uh, But, yeah, just to keep everybody updated. So, as we have prediction-wise, we have Callie, Jim, Jay, and Gary all picking Brazil, Branton, and Johnny. Stick with Argentina. And then uh, myself and the Traveler are the only ones really going outside the box here. Uh, I've got England. Trav has France. We will see how that plays out. Uh, but, hey, we want to appreciate you guys listening to us ramble and mumble on for the past hour or so. Uh, we do it for you guys. Uh, we do enjoy talking about soccer, but, yeah, we could do it offline. Uh, so we want you guys to be able to hear what we've got going on. Uh, La Familia, we appreciate you no matter on season, off season, no matter what time of the year it is. We love you. And, uh, you know, make sure you guys reach out to us on social media. We are on Twitter at uh, InterMIA Podcast, Instagram, InterMiami Podcast. And as we like to end every episode, Vamos Miami. Vamos Miami. Vamos Miami. Vamos Vamos, Captain America. Vamos (laughs) Christian Pulisic. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll be talking to you soon.